Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 645. Uh, the red-billed tropic bird. One of our favorite species on last week's trip to the Galapagos Islands. If you heard our show from the islands or plan to listen to the podcast, thanks for listening, especially through a few little technical glitches that we encountered while broadcasting from sea. Special thanks to Sunrise Birding for putting together a marvelous excursion to the islands. To our wonderful new friends, Alan and Marjorie Parker, who were vitally instrumental in helping to make our Galapagos broadcast possible. Thanks to our other fabulous friends and fellow travelers, Jerry Tice, Debbie and John Goodrich, Mark and Ginny Morlagan, Marsha Barton-Hyde, Lisa Peterson and Steve Tangney. To our marvelous guide, Jose Castillo, affectionately known as Pepe. To our captain, Peter Vallejo, and the entire crew of the motor yacht Letty, and to the marvelous birds and marine and land iguanas and sea turtles and sea lions, giant tortoises, Sally Lightfoot crabs and sharks that wowed us in our amazing seven days in the incredible and unique world of the Galapagos Islands, 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador in South America. Meanwhile, even as we were watching Nazca boobies and brown pelicans in the islands, both of those species were spotted here in the past week in our home base of eastern Massachusetts. The brown pelican reported on the harbor shore right in the city of Boston and a Nazca booby in Wellfleet on Cape Cod. As our Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's Birdwatchers General Store observed, we don't need to go to the Galapagos Islands to see tropical birds. They come to us. Touche, Mike. We'd also like to thank National Public Radio's Scott Simon for inviting yours truly onto his weekend edition Saturday program. Saturday, October 7th edition, for a little four-minute recap of our Galapagos adventure. You can find a link to the segment, by the way, right now on our Talking Birds Facebook page or at npr.org. Meanwhile, from way up north in Alberta, Canada, our Charlotte Wusselick tells us about an invitation from Travis Audubon in Austin, Texas, plus a new Cornell Lab tool for IDing your backyard birds and how we can help birds affected by the hurricanes in the Caribbean here in the latest edition of her Charlotte's weblog. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. The Travis Audubon chapter in Austin, Texas is inviting young birders on Sunday, October 29th to visit the Cherry Springs Ranch in Spicewood, Texas. The ranch ecosystem consists of grasslands, woods, and creeks, as well as the Cherry Springs itself. The group will be searching for local resident wildlife as well as migrants. Find more information at travisaudubon.org slash YBC. 
The Cornell Lab of Ornithology has recently released a new learning tool focused on many of the most common feeder birds in North America, with information on identification and what and where they like to eat. Visit the Project Feeder Watch website under the Learn tab to find the species list. Many Caribbean islands sustained devastating damage during the recent hurricanes, which destroyed critical bird habitat. Wildside Nature Tours is coordinating a relief effort designed to help Birds Caribbean, which is committed to conserving Caribbean birds and their habitats through local individuals and organizations. Wildside will match up to $10,000 collected by October 31st on their GoFundMe page. If you would like to help in the relief effort, please visit gofundme.com forward slash Birds Caribbean hyphen hurricane hyphen fund. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. We'll look for you online on your blog there at prairiebirder.com. By the way, we'll put that website address up on our Facebook page for that help for birds in the Caribbean. And that, my friends, <laughs> is today's mystery bird. This is a little preview of our mystery bird contest, which we'll uh, conduct in just a little bit. A little preview there. Our mystery bird is a medium to large, chicken-like, thick-bodied bird with a short, rounded, partly black tail. It's white in winter, rusty brown in summer, when the male displays a bright reddish-brown head and neck. Our bird is found mostly in northern Canada and Alaska, but is occasionally seen in the upper Midwest states, especially Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. It lives and feeds mostly on open tundra, especially in areas of grasses and mosses and herbs and shrubs. So that's our mystery bird, so you'll be ready uh, when we conduct the contest in just a little bit. Meanwhile, we want to say a big thank you to some new Talking Birds ambassadors uh, and we're mostly giving first names because we haven't confirmed uh, that we can give the last name. So thank you to Mary from White House Station, New Jersey. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you to Ron in Fenton, Missouri. And uh, thanks to Latham in Old Mystic, Connecticut. And thanks to two of our fellow travelers on our recent Galapagos trip who signed up as ambassadors uh, along the way. Steve Tagney and Lisa Peterson from Cromwell and Granby. Connecticut, respectively. Talking Birds listeners kindly do consider joining our Talking Birds Ambassadors program and hand out some of our info cards to your friends and associates to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. Easy to do and easy to sign up for. Just click the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, Darwin's finches aren't the only ones whose beaks have drawn enormous scientific interest over the years. There's a North American species that we'll talk about today, one that may actually be divided into several more species. Cornell Lab's Matt Young from the Macaulay Library will explain. Plus, we'll get more backyard birding advice, birdbath style today, from our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. In our mystery bird contest, we'll produce a fabulous feeder for a Talking Birds listener who can identify our bird or be chosen in a random drawing. So no, should no one get the, uh, you know, exactly correct answer. And up next, the bird that provided a rare sighting on Cape Cod last week is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. 
Well, we all know that bird, the pelican. His bill can hold more than his belly can. Yes, I know. But one pelican kind of stands out from all the others. This one, unlike the others, is found almost exclusively on ocean shores and not on inland lakes. It's also the only one that features dark plumage and surprising though it may seem, it's the only pelican that plunges from the air into the water to catch its prey. Which one is it? It's the brown pelican. Right again. The brown pelican has something in common with penguins. It's that they warm their eggs with their feet. But unlike penguins, the brown pelican holds the eggs under its feet, or more precisely, under the webs that stretch from the front toes to the hind toe, in effect standing on the eggs to warm them, a method that in years past made them vulnerable to the effects of DDT. That pesticide made the eggshells thin, so they were often destroyed when they couldn't withstand the weight being placed on them. The poisoning by DDT and other pesticides caused severe population declines for the brown pelican in the late 1950s. And ironically enough, the bird was wiped out in Louisiana, whose official nickname is the Pelican State. The 1972 ban on DDT led to a population rebound, and the brown pelican was removed from the endangered species list in the Atlantic Coast states in 1985. Breeding numbers in most states now are stable or increasing. Good news for bird lovers and for Pelicanus occidentalis, the brown pelican. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us. Our show number 645. Please do visit our website. That would be TalkinBirds.com. No G in Talkin'. And hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Matt Young is the collections management leader at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's world-renowned Macaulay Library, home of the world's largest archive of audio and video recordings of birds and animals on the planet. Well, I already said world's largest, so I guess that would be on the planet. Anyway, he joins us on the phone right now to talk about wintering finches, especially those intriguing crossbills. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, and thanks for being on uh, uh, with us again. Uh, I want to ask you to explain a bit about the Macaulay Lab for those who aren't familiar with it here at some point. But first, about those finches, and we had a chance to observe some specialized beaks in Darwin's finches in the Galapagos Islands last week. And there are some birds from up north and out west with some very specialized beaks, the crossbills. Um, but you know what? I, just because you sent me this note a moment ago, I thought we'd we would change our order of uh, questioning here because you sent me kind of a scoop here about one yeah. of the one of the red uh, red crossbills. Uh, we were going to a- I was going to ask you about whether there might be several species of crossbills, red crossbills, as some researchers uh, suggest. But it looks like that has already happened. Yes, that is correct. So just so everybody kind of gets an idea of the landscape, there's red crossbill. There's 10 to 11 different call types in North America. What I mean by that is when they fly over, they make different flight calls. And the idea is it creates a reproductive barrier because light call type wants to mate with light call type. So recently, one of the call types, type 9, um, which is found in an isolated mountain range in the absence of tree squirrels, which tree squirrels are the main competitor for pine, pine cones or seeds in, in coniferous cones, um, 
basically that that bird in that isolated mountain range in southern Idaho was raised to the species status. Hmm. It's now called called Cassia crossbill. Cassia so it's crossbill. pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so there's and they all have slightly different bill sizes, like you were getting at. Mm-hmm. So the most inheritable tree is the bill depth, mm-hmm. and the spread from the smallest bill depth to the largest is only three millimeters. But what what happens with that is, is this, these minor differences in the sizes of the bill depth. Each one of them that's slightly different is most efficient at feeding on certain conifer species. Mm-hmm. So Cassia crossbill has actually evolved in a short period of time to feed on this isolated variety of lodgepole pine with no tree squirrels. Wow, pretty amazing. And yeah. and just reading, too, about the Galapagos finches, we, we learned, I think, in Peter Grant's research there, that they found these tiny, tiny differences in bill size that actually uh, led to the survival or failure to survive of birds, just on the tiny differences. Yes, 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 absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it's a similar dynamic to, to the Galapagos. Obviously, it's not necessarily an island, although it's mm-hmm. a big island in a sense, but... <laughs> You know, it's happening on these almost like mountain islands. Like, if you think of this cash across the scenario, it truly is an island of habitat mm. with no tree squirrels several miles kind of the east of the Rockies. And that's why there's no tree squirrels there. Tree squirrels never made that jump mm. out across a portion of the Rockies into this isolated area. It's called the South Hills in southern Idaho. Mm-hmm. Originally, the name was... Originally, the bird was proposed to be a full species in 2009. It was uh, it needed two-thirds in favor vote. It was in favor. They voted in favor of, of separating it to a full species on five to four vote, but it needed another vote. So they went out, and Craig Bankman is the uh, researcher. He's the uh, uh, Ph.D. at the University of Idaho. That's basically, he's been the main guy studying a lot of the crossbills in North America. Mm-hmm. And uh, he st- found the population in 1997, started studying it, found that it had a different call type, different beak size. It's also not nomadic. Mm-hmm. So uh, unlike all the other crossbill types that tend to move around a lot, mm-hmm. it's a sedentary population. Well, we have some short recordings here, Matt, of a few of these call types. So why don't we give those a listen? The first one is type one, which you described there as, um, let's see, where is my list of descriptions here? For call one, a quick attenuated choot-choot, similar to the call of a Kentucky warbler, compared to type two. Here's type one. And that's the Appalachian crossbill, right? So this is... Not even a bird from up north or out west. Yeah, no, that's correct. So the, the idea is each one of these call types kind of have a core zone of occurrence where they're most efficient at feeding on a certain kind of conifer species or couple species. And so this bird actually, yeah, it finds it's, it's most abundant feeding in red spruce and white pine in the southern Appalachians. Hmm. And uh, when the bird moves, when it when the cone crops fail there, they do move around, and they'll move from south to north. Wow. Very different than what most people think. <laughs> yeah. We, we're a little short on time, so I'm going to skip ahead to this one. This is type 10, the Sitka spruce crossbill. 
As you describe here, a very dry, thin kind of a call recording, uh, recalling an Impidinax flycatcher wit note. Yes, yes, yes. It was only, it was actually one of the most, they, they were described, you know, in kind of chronological order. So Type 10 was only described in 2010, I believe. Um, and it's most common along the West Coast and thicker spruce coastal forests. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, kind of the West provides this kind of adaptive landscape where mm-hmm. the, because there's so many coniferous, different coniferous species, and most of the call types find their home in the western United States, you know, there's this competitive kind of a landscape where they're forced almost into feeding on certain conifers. So the bill size is, is the key, but uh, the call type is what depicts uh, bill size, not the other way around. They want to meet, they want to flock with the same call type because there's an ecological specialization implied there. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing yeah. stuff, and we we have just another 30 seconds, if that's uh, not fair, uh, or I hope it's fair to ask you to give us a quick idea what the Macaulay Library is about, if you can do it in 30 seconds, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as, as you mentioned at the top of the, sh- the top of our interview here, that's, uh, you know, the oldest and largest collection in many ways. Two years ago, we're actually now collecting images as well. So two years ago, we went to a... Uh, we developed an upload tool for eBird checklists, so mm-hmm. for eBird users out there, which is a program where you can go out birding and you can submit a checklist. goes into this database that, that, that the lab actually manages. But you can now upload audio and images to your checklist, mm-hmm. and that it, those media end up in Macaulay Library. And that includes so, Red Cross it, bills, too, in helping with your research. Absolutely, yeah. So you can actually get, you know, you don't need high-end uh, uh, equipment to get recordings across bills for analysis. So what I've asked everybody is, you know, if you get a recording, you can even go out and get it with your iPhone, and uh, please send it to me or put it, upload in that checklist. I'll see it, and then I can identify it, and then we'll put it into the uh, Macaulay Library to the call type level. Mm-hmm. How do they get it to you if they want to do it that way? Uh, they can send it to me at uh, may6 at cornell.edu. M-A-Y. So May 6. Okay, M-A- May 6 at cornell.edu. Yes, yep. Awesome. Matt Young is the Collections Management Leader at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's world-renowned Macaulay Library in Ithaca, New York. Matt, thank you, and good luck with your ongoing work. All right, thanks, Ray. Coming up next, our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Now, a word from our friends at Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, track, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. 
Our mystery bird contest is here, and you are eligible to win a beautiful feeder from Droll Yankees, as long as you haven't been a winner here in the past six months on Talking Birds. And we have a really special feeder this morning, certainly one of the most popular Droll Yankees feeders. It's the Window Mount Songbird Feeder with the unique songbird and blueberries design and a clear view of the birds right there at your window. That is our prize. Our number is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. We urge you to call as soon as possible. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Is a beautiful sounding bird here. Our mystery bird is a medium to large chicken-like thick-bodied bird with a short Rounded, partly black tail. It's white in winter, rusty brown in summer when the male displays a bright reddish-brown head and neck. Our bird is found mostly in northern Canada and Alaska, but is occasionally seen in the upper Midwest states of Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. It lives and feeds mostly on open tundra, especially in areas of grasses and mosses and herbs and shrubs. All right, that's our mystery bird. What is it? Tell us or take your guess because no correct answer means a drawing. We'll determine our winner. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name's Maurice Ives, calling from Tucson, Arizona. If someone is interested in becoming an ambassador, I think it gives a really neat feeling of being an active part of raised Talking Birds family. It adds really nice energy to our interest in birds and nature. And I think we could really use a lot more of this in today's world. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. Mike O'Connor is down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, where nearby recently they saw that um, brown pelican and Mike, I understand now you have a snowy, or not a snowy, but you have a great horned owl on your chimney, am I correct? <laughs> yeah, how about that? Yeah, I was going to bed last night, and I could hear the owls uh, calling, and yeah, this is how good I am at uh, identifying where birds are. Um, so I sent, I sent my son Casey a text message, who was just like two rooms away. <laughs> I don't want to spend any extra That's how we communicate these days. But right. yeah, I was in bed, and... Um, few minutes later and i said yeah there's an owl out there and he comes back yeah it's on our chimney he went out and looked at it with the moon moonlight and stuff wow. in the background so uh like like the like the other birds the birds come to me that's what i say i guess so the nazca boobies go from uh, you know south america to cape cod just just for you <laughs> exactly and brown right. pelicans and wow exactly right 
Well, we're, we also were going to talk about um, bird baths because there's a certain way that you should place a bird bath, right? Instead of just kind of sticking well, it Well, yeah, it's funny. Random. Usually we talk about bird baths in the spring, and sometimes we'll do a show in the middle of winter about heated bird baths. But I've been getting a lot of re- questions, emails, and, and phone calls about where to place a bird bath, and I've been selling a lot lately. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe I don't really know my business very well, but it seems like a popular <laughs> bird bath time of year. Mm. And so some people want to know what's the best place to where to locate them. You know, you put them out in the you know out in the garden's not a, a bad place. But remember, when the birds use a bird bath, they're compromised by the weight of the, the water. So it's good to have it somewhere near a tree or a thick shrub. So after the birds bathe, I'm not, I'm not just talking about drinking this case, but when they splash around and they bathe, they fly up into a tree to preen, and they're, they're kind of slow. So if you put it somewhat near a tree, they feel protected in case a hawk or a predator comes by they can jump back up into a tree or the shrub for protection so uh maybe a little bit near a tree but not in, in a dense thicket because again predators especially feral cats can hide and and the birds get a little nervous there so if you have a bird bath put a little bit in the open but uh somewhat near a tree that they can jump up in there to get away. The other thing I've been getting a lot of questions, and one of the more popular bird baths, believe it or not, are hanging bird baths. I guess people don't have big yards, or they don't have a, put a pedestal out in the way of the lawnmower or something, so they hang these bird baths. And they're, they're usually made of pottery or glass and uh, in plastic. And they're, they're really popular, but what people find out right away is the birds are intimidated by them. They land on them, and the, huh. bird, the bath kind of rocks a little bit, and the water splashes, and the birds take off. And now they complain to me that the birds don't like them. So what I suggest to folks do, if you have a hanging bird bath and you're having trouble getting the birds to use it, place it on uh, a stable before you hang it. Place it on like a picnic bench or a picnic table or a board or a porch railing. And so the birds get used to it not moving and they're comfortable with it. And then when you hang it, you know, it gives way a little bit, but they're not uh, suspicious about it Mm -hmm. and they're more likely to use it. So if you're having trouble, put on something solid a little bit before you hang it up. All right. Top quality advice about bird bath placement. And and also, you should remember to put water in there. (laughs) Yeah, we're having a sale on water, too. If you're interested, we'll give you half price with every bird bath. Such a deal. Thank you, Mike. All right, talk to you later. All right, we'll talk with Mike next week. Mike O'Connor down at the legendary Bird Watchers General Store in Cape Cod. Meanwhile, we have this melodic-sounding bird as today's mystery bird. (laughs) That is a beautiful thing there, a mystery bird, a large chicken-like thick-bodied bird with a short, rounded, partly black tail, white in winter, rusty brown in summer when the male displays a bright reddish-brown head. And neck, excuse me? Okay, 781-837-4900 is the number to call to uh, identify our mystery bird. We have Steve. He is somewhere up in the great state of Vermont. Good morning, Steve. Yes, good morning. How's it and going up? A, yes, Steve. Again? Go or, ahead. Uh, it's a, uh, that's a ptarmigan. A ptarmigan. Uh, do you want to yep. give any, anything more specific? I don't have uh, any other name, but that's all I know them by. Okay. Well, I tell you what, that is a you know that is a certainly a top quality answer. Um, I'm trying to remember my ptarmigan species here all of a sudden, but uh, anyway, stay on the line uh, or don't stay on the line. But uh, if no one gets a more specific answer uh, to that, uh, then you would be the winner. Oh, okay. Did, did that make sense? I tried to make yep. sense about that. All right, Steve. Thank you. Keep, all right, very good. Thanks. Keep listening. All right. We're moving on to Josh in Campsville. 
Illinois. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Good morning to you. Uh, you just heard a, a guess for a ptarmigan, and we kind of uh, spilled the beans that that was kind of uh, correct, but uh, we're looking for a little bit more specificity. Do you have any for us? Um, a willow ptarmigan? Willow ptarmigan, or ptarmigan if you like. Either way. Absolutely right. The willow. The willow ptarmigan. Is a, let's see, do we have the rock ptarmigan as another species? And I'm not sure which other ones there are, if any. I'm oh, going to have to look that up. Well, listen, Josh, thank you for calling, and congratulations. We're going to send you the beautiful Droll Yankees window mount feeder. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's Josh, Campsville, Illinois, the willow ptarmigan. They tell us it's the only grouse in the world in which... The male is regularly involved in parental care. Pairs remain together from the beginning of the breeding season until the chicks are independent. How about that? That is going to be wrapping it up for our show today. We're just about out of time. We want to thank you so much for listening. Once again, uh, we hope you'll consider becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Uh, we love our ambassadors, and they're doing great stuff spreading the word about our show and about birds and conservation. So, uh, Consider becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Easy to do. Just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's it. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.